I'd like to say that again. I felt like the Lord gave me that title. After the shipwreck, get on with life. In order to preach this sermon, I have to give you a little bit of background. So I'm going to read from the Recovery Bible because it's so explicit in its wording concerning this sermon. And I'm reading from the book of Acts, chapter 27. And I want to begin by saying this. God's plan for Paul was to go to Rome. That was God's destiny for Paul. That was his divine will for Paul. And God was going to get Paul to Rome. How does that relate to you? Well, I've been teaching you concerning the destiny and providence of God and the plan of God for your life, for those that desire to obey God and want to do His will. God has a plan for your life, and God is trying to get you to your Rome. God is trying to get you to a place where He wants you to be. You have to understand that to understand this sermon. And along the way, there are going to be shipwrecks. Along the way, there's going to be storms and winds that come against us. And along the way, there's going to be times when it seems like we have no hope. When we're hungry, hungry for God, but we seemingly can't find Him. Times when we're terrified and when we're fearful. So with that background, I want to give you this sermon this morning. And it begins in the book of Acts chapter 27 and verse 1 when Paul was sailing for Rome. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of an army officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. And Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica, was also with us. We left on a boat whose home port was a dream to men. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province of Asia. The next day when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. We passed along the coast provinces of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra in the province of Lycia. There the officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Now just those verses there. Look what God went through to maneuver Paul on this journey. Look what God did. From point A to point B to point C. Look at the specifics and the particular places where God was leading him. Now you have to understand that Paul was a prisoner on this boat. He was a prisoner. And as a result of being a prisoner, he had to go by the mandate of that captain of that ship. Who he found favor with. Now here's where I want to speak to you, in Acts chapter 27 and verse 7. He says these words, We had suffered days of rough sailing, and after great difficulty, we finally neared Sinaitis, 
But the wind was against us. So we sailed down to the leeward side of Crete, past the Cape of Salmoni. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for long voyages by then because it was so late in the fall. And Paul spoke to the ship's officers about it. Look at this place where they docked. This place called Sinidus, C-N-I-D-U-S. And in the original Greek meaning, it means the word nettled. And I didn't know what that word meant. What does it mean to be nettled? Well, the word means offended. It means to be vexed, to be peeved and aggravated. The word means to be enraged, pestered, provoked, riled, hassled, irritated, exasperated, disturbed, agitated, nervous, stressed, distressed, troubled, unsettled, anxious, and uptight. Now God allowed them to come to this place and gave this place a name. And names in the Bible have meaning. When you're going through a trial, when you're going through what Paul called rough sailing, great difficulty, you are experiencing all of those adjectives. You are experiencing all those emotions. You're uptight. You're hassled. You're, you're provoked. You're irritated. You say, I'm up to here with it. I don't know if I can handle anything more. Isn't that true? Are you with me? Good morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We're in the house of God. We have had rough sailing, some of us. We have gone through great difficulties and great trials. We have gone through great struggles. We have, have gotten great trouble in our lives recently in the last few months. And though the winds have been against us and the headwind has been in our face, we have had the power of the Holy Spirit and we have had the wind of God at our back driving us forward, helping us to get where God wants us to be. And that's the important part of the sermon. It's not where you are, it's where God is taking you. It's not where you were, it's where God is leading you. And some of us are so stuck in rough sailings. And some of us are so stuck in great difficulty. We're so stuck in the past, that's all we can talk about. And that headwind is in your face. And you've not allowed the Holy Spirit to bring you to the next port. In verse 8, Paul said, We struggled along the coast with great difficulty and finally arrived at Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. I studied this. I said, Lord, what are you trying to say to me and to this church? Because I realized that people have gone through some personal, significant, emotional events in their last six months or a year of their life. Lord, what are you trying to say? What does it mean? that they finally arrived at Fair Havens. Well, what does the word Fair Havens mean in Greek? It means goodly ports. It's a haven. You, won't, you know what a haven is. It's a man cave. Isn't that a haven? It's a man cave. It's where men go. It's the haven. It's where women go 
to their sewing room, to their craft room, out with their girlfriends, going shopping to the mall. It's your haven. Getting away from life, getting away from kids, getting away from responsibilities, getting away from bills, getting away from neighbors, getting away from family. It's your haven. But it also means this. It means better, honest, useful, and suitable. Let me say that again. It means better, honest, useful, and suitable. The word fair havens means beautiful to look on. It means affecting the mind agreeably, comforting and confirming. Let me explain this to you as the Lord, I believe, explained it to me. When you're going through a great trial, when the world is coming against you, during that trial, you've got to look for the fair haven. And sometimes it's only a little season of your life in that trial. Sometimes it's just a few moments, a few days, a few hours, a few weeks. It's just a short season. And what God is saying this, when you're going through that great trial and he stops you at the port of the fair havens, he's saying this. He's saying, son or daughter, I'm giving you a breather for a moment from this trial. I realize what you're going through. I realize what you're experiencing. I know what you're living. And God is saying, I want to give you a breather. I want to give you time to get your composure. Because you know when a great trial comes against you, you lose composure. You lose focus. You're like a boxer in a ring that gets stunned, and your legs get like rubber, and your eyes begin to roll back in your head, and you wonder where you are. you got to look for the fair haven. And God does provide that. And sometimes we're so stuck in our trial, we don't see the fair haven. Sometimes it can come in the form of a child who comforts you. Sometimes it can come in the form of a friend, a church member. Sometimes it comes in the form of a song or a picnic or an outing. And we don't realize it because we're so steeped in the trial. You see, the fair haven is a spiritual timeout. It's where God says, I see the fiery trial is really fiery for you. I see how it's going to take you out if I don't intervene, at least for a season. And God allows the fiery trials. Think it not strange. We'll get to that later. But during the trial, God always provides some kind of a breather, some kind of a rest and recuperation, some kind of R&R. It's a spiritual timeout. For what? To let us know that he is in control. That's the important point of the sermon. That he is in control. You are not in free fall. You are not in free fall. Though the boat is going and the wind is taking it, though the sails don't seem to be having any effect on that boat, God is still in control in the fair havens. Because he's saying this, son and daughter, I love you, and I'm caring for you even at this moment of your greatest trial and your greatest need. And he reminds us. Because Paul said, we finally arrived at Fair Havens, listen to this now, near the city of Lycia. I said, God, what's the meaning here? There has to be a revelation. The word Lycia means shabby. It means unkept, disheveled frazzled and disorganized. You see, what God was saying is this. The breather is given at fair havens 
because God knows the enemy is close near the city of Lycia waiting to get you upset and frazzled once again. He's always that close. He's always around the corner. And you have to understand trials and tribulations. And most people don't because they don't study. They don't study it out. They don't hear the Holy Spirit speaking to them. Sometimes a gift comes to them and they don't even know it's a gift. They shun it away. They refuse it because of their pride and their stubbornness and their disobedience to God. God is trying to offer someone a fair haven and you reject it. You're rejecting God. You're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting the messenger. Just like in the Old Testament when they rejected the prophets and the message that the prophets were bringing. The prophets were trying to bring a gift to the people. A relief from their trial. A relief from their apostasy. A relief from their backsliding. He was trying to give them a fair haven, but they wouldn't listen. They had to be sent into captivity. What's God saying? Look at verse 9. It says, We had lost a lot of time. The weather was becoming dangerous for long voyages by then because it was so late in the fall, and Paul spoke to the ship's captain about it. You see, Paul was trying to say to the captain, I've heard from God, and we need to dock here for a few months at the Fair Havens because there's going to be terrible weather looking at us in the winter. Some People don't ever see trouble ahead. They don't see it. They don't discern it. They don't perceive it. They never get prepared for it. Some don't recognize the breather. They say they don't see anything beautiful to look on. Some people are so steeped in their trial that nothing's good. They can't even praise God for one thing. They can't even praise God for waking up and God giving breath into their lungs. Nothing's good. Summer isn't good. Spring isn't good. Autumn isn't good. Winter isn't good. If it's raining, it's no good. If it's not raining, it's no good. You can't please them. They're hard to get along with. They're difficult personalities because they've not yielded to the Holy Spirit. They don't see anything beautiful to look upon, and that's what Fair Havens meant. They don't allow God to affect their mind with his agreements. Don't you remember what I told you? That fair havens means affecting the mind agreeably. We fight the word. We resist God. We're so proud. We're so stubborn. We're so resistant. And that's demonic. That's witchcraft according to the word of God. And we don't even realize we're practicing it. When God is trying to get us to the place to stay in the fair havens for as long as we can because he knows we're in a trial. It's in the fair havens when you begin to agree with God's word and you don't listen to the voice of the devil who's telling you you're going to drown. You're going to die. You're not going to make it. You're not going to get to the end. They don't allow God to affect their minds with the agreements in his word. We're so quick to agree with the devil. The devil says something to us, oh, yeah, he's right. It's not going to work out. It's not going to happen. I'm going to die. We're so quick to agree with sickness. We accept it. We take it. We brag about it. We talk about it. It's like a trophy in a trophy chest. 
And God's saying, I don't want you to have that. I want you to be well. I want to heal you. We take such great pride in our sickness and in our infirmities. It's like a badge of honor. We like to compare our medical reports with other people's medical reports. Oh, don't talk. Mine's bigger than yours. My pain is greater than your pain. Don't even talk about your pain. You don't even know my pain. What are you talking about? You're in the fair havens, and God is trying to get us to agree with his word. They don't allow God to affect their mind with his agreements, and they fight against his words, and they create their own headwind against themselves, preventing them from getting to the destiny that God desires for them. We don't even need the enemy in our lives. We create our own enemies by producing a headwind against ourselves. We bang ourselves against the wall. And then we wonder why. Why isn't this working? Because you're not listening. You're not doing it. You're not agreeing with God's word. You're double-minded. And when you're double-minded, you're unstable in all of your ways. You can't make up your mind. You're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. You're up, you're down. You're up, you're down. God looks at the church sometimes and it looks like a yo-yo to him. Christian malaria, fever and a chill, fever and a chill, fever and a chill. He looks at his children sometimes running around like chickens without a head. And he's saying, I'm trying to give you a fair haven. I'm trying to provide a church for you. I'm trying to provide a friend. I'm trying to provide love. I'm trying to give you something that I know you need, but you're rejecting me. Hmm. Think about this. You see, they make decisions without wise counsel and confirmation of God's word because they're not taking the time to accept the breather. Some people looked at a gift horse in the face and they kick it away. They abuse it. Hear what I'm saying? Some people look at the gift horse in the face and they abuse it. And then we wonder why sometimes we have no friends. We wonder why we have no fellowship. Because people get sick and fed up with it. People get sick and fed up with your resistance, with your stubbornness, with your pride. Oh, I don't need nothing. I'm good. I'm good to go. You're not. You can't be if you're in a church. Because God's created the body of Christ for us to help one another, to be interdependent. And when you say those words, what you're really saying is you don't need God, you don't need me, you don't need the church, you don't need your brothers and sisters in Christ, that you can do it alone. I want to tell you something. Stinking thinking brings you right where you are. Brings you right where you are. Stinking thinking. And people don't get it. Paul warned them. He warned them. Stay here. And you know, as a pastor, sometimes you warn people and you give people good orderly direction, but you know they're going to do the opposite. They waste your time. They waste your gift. They waste your talent. They waste precious moments of your life as a pastor because they really don't want counseling. They really want to form an argument in their mind, reasonings in their mind, and imaginations in their mind to counteract what you're saying. Listen, I'm not saying from me. I'm saying from God's word. This is what God's word says. I preach God's word. I preach the scripture. Paul warned him in Acts 27 and 10. He said, sirs, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, injuries, and dangers to our lives. How much plainer could you get? 
Sometimes you look into the face of people and you say, don't go there, don't do that. You're looking for trouble. You're biting off more than you can chew. They just look at you and kind of laugh at you and say, hey, you don't know what he's talking about. He don't know what he's talking about. And you go do your thing. You see, some don't see the trouble ahead. Some don't see the danger that sometimes can be avoided. I believe a lot of times in our trials we can avoid certain things if we listen to other people and we don't isolate. Because when you isolate, you get ambushed. How long are we going to continue to isolate? How long are we going to continue to be alone? How long are we going to continue to go into our homes like in the book of Haggai and close the door and say, I don't need nobody? How long? Until we die? Until America becomes a drip or a puddle somewhere in the street? When our churches are closed, is that when people are going to wake up and say, hey, you know what? We need to reopen the house of God. We need to resurrect the pastor. We need to go get the preacher. We need to come back and have a sermon. We need to get the guitar player and the piano player. We need to get the drum player. We need to make some music. What's happened to us in America? What's happened to us in the church? You have to ask yourself that. Jesus said, are you hot or you cold? What are you? He said, if you're lukewarm, he said, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. That's what he said in the book of Revelation. He didn't say that to the sinner. He said that to the church. We're so consumed with self. We're so consumed with our own life and our own desires. We can't see the needs of other people because we're so consumed. They were warned that they should have stayed in the fair havens for the winter. However, the officer listened to the ship's captain and owner instead. Too many Christians listen to themselves and others instead of the voice of God. I ask people, how did you come to that decision? I I have to know. How did you come to that conclusion? I don't know. I just did it. How did you decide to do that? I don't know. I just did it. No counsel. No leading of the Holy Spirit. Just doing it. Trials and certain situations in trials can be avoided if we listen. Because when you're in a trial, that's when the devil is trying to pick you off. You can avoid further hurt and further danger if you sit down in the fair haven sometimes and say, okay, God, what are you saying? You're giving me a breather. That's where you agree with God's word. That's where you get your fight. That's where you get your resources. That's where the cavalry comes into your life and God says, this is the strategy that we have to plan and do. But most people never take time to sit on their back porch because we're so busy trying to figure out our life and we're trying to reconstruct our homes and trying to reconstruct our past to make it palatable for ourselves. When God says, I'm not even dealing with that. Because you know what God's usually dealing with in a trial? He's dealing with yourself. He's not dealing with the other person. He's not dealing with the other persons. He's not dealing with your marriage, your kids, your finance. He's dealing with you. And we don't get that. We don't accept that. God is trying to deal with self. He's trying to get self off the throne and make him king again of our lives. All people want to talk about is what my husband's doing, what my wife is doing, what my kids are doing. God is not even in that equation. He's not even in that conversation. He's asking you, what about you? Are you growing? Do you know me? Do you love me? With your wife or without your wife? With your husband or without your husband? Will you follow me? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my son? Who is my daughter? Jesus said, those that do the will of God. 
Those that do the will of God. He didn't say if you're still married to your wife or to your husband. He didn't say if you have a pocket full of money. He didn't say if you have a good job. He didn't say if you have a title after your name or before your name. He said, he that does the will of my father. His mother and brethren came to him one time while he was ministering. And they stopped and they said, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. He said, who is my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? He didn't even have time for his own family. He said, he that does the will of God. We're so wrapped up in our trial, we don't even know what God's speaking to us. He's always trying to get you to become more like him. We're always trying to get a husband, a wife, a son, a daughter. We're always trying to get them to be what we want them to be. It's not your business. It's not your business. Your business is with God. You can't fix nobody. You can't change nobody. You can't even help anybody. It's Christ. And we have forgotten that in the church. Too many Christians act on their emotions instead of on the spirit of the living God. They go by feelings. I feel this. I feel that. My emotions. Well, what are you feeling? It's the word we must agree with. Emotions will trick you. Emotions will seduce you. Emotions will deceive you. It's the word of God that's stable. It's the word of God that's infallible. Paul said, listen, you're in for trouble if you're not listening to what I'm telling you. Oh, did they listen to the man of God? Absolutely not. Why would anyone want to listen to the man of God? Why would anybody want to listen to a preacher that preaches the word? (laughs) It's so uncommon. Because here's what happened. This is what I call, I told you so. Acts 27 and 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Fair Havens. You know, people hate when you say that. I don't want to hear that. You need to hear that. Because it says you weren't listening. You weren't doing what God was saying. You were doing your own thing. And sometimes you have to say to someone, I told you so. I told you you were going to get burnt. I told you that making that decision was going to lead you down the wrong road and you didn't listen. Listen. Listen to what happened. He said, you would have have avoided all the injury and loss. What's Paul saying? If you would have done what I told you and kept this ship in port, we would have no loss. We would have had no injury. But then Paul said, but take courage. Oh, you have to like Paul. You have to like. He knows that this ship... Is going to get smashed into smithereens. <laughs> and for 14 days, he's been on a fast, and he's been hearing from God, and he knows God. He's been in the fair haven. He's been in the secret place of the Most High God. He's heard the power of the Holy Spirit. He's heard the voice of God, and God told him, hey, listen, don't worry, son. It's going to blow up. The ship is going to get smacked into smithereens, but I want to tell you something. No one is going to get hurt, and there'll be no loss of life. So Paul says, but take courage. No one will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. I love that verse. You see, sometimes we don't listen to God and others he sends into our life. You see, the captain was pig-headed. Oh, I'm okay. I don't need your help. Oh, yeah, you're doing great. You're doing great, captain. Yeah. In a few minutes... 
your ship is going to be underwater. But you don't need my help. You're independent. You got, you got a good, you're good to go, man. You got everything under control, you think. That's the way Christians are. We think we've got this all under control. We've got this little set of Christianity that we have. We've got these little laws and rules that we live by that we think God's given to us. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I can't give you this. I can't receive that. It's, oh, it's against, against what? What are you talking about? What's your Christianity? Some rules and regulations you learn somewhere in a book? Where's your freedom? Where's your liberty in Christ? Where's your agreements with the word? Sometimes we don't listen. We refuse help. And when we refuse help, we're usually refusing love, compassion, and concern from other people. We close ourselves off. We reject people. But you're not rejecting people. You're rejecting Christ in that person. That's what you're doing. We become headstrong and stubborn. And as a result, some of our own trouble and difficulty is the result of our own disobedience and behavior that's unbecoming to God. And people don't want to hear that. It's like a parent warning a child. Don't go there. Don't listen. Goes there and gets himself in trouble. Yeah, dad has a right to say, I told you so. Maybe next time you'll listen. Maybe next time you'll avoid what's happened to you. You hear what I'm saying? We must own up to our part and be responsible and accountable for our actions. That's what trials are all about. We always think it's about the other person. We always think about what we're being denied in life. We always reduce trials to, I'm not happy. God wants him to be happy. Where? Where does it say that? What does it say God wants you to be happy? Where is that verse? He says, I want you to be content in whatsoever state you find yourself. What? He says, be content in whatever state you find yourself. So what state are you in this morning? And do you have contentment? And if you don't, ask yourself, Think about that. Because we're always making it about what the other person should be doing. And God isn't interested in your interest in the other person and what they're supposed to be doing. He's interested in what you're supposed to be doing. Let me continue. We must examine ourselves for pride and ask ourselves, why do I resist the assistance of others? I hate that spirit. I hate that spirit in my life, and I hate that spirit in your life. I don't need help. I could do it. I'm strong. No, you're not. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Charles Atlas. You're weak, feeble. Without God, you can do nothing. We pretend. We play pretend. We act like we're some heavyweight champion boxer in the ring. 
and a little bit of wind comes and blows us right over. But I don't need any help. I could do this by myself. (laughs) Paul said, so take courage. For I believe God, he said. It will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. (laughs) Prophecy. Take courage. You know what that word courage means? It means to be daring. It means boldness and bravery. It means nerve. Resolution. It means resolve. Determination. Steadfastness. Perseverance. Tenacity. It means purpose. What's God saying? Don't give up in your trial. Don't give up your determination. Don't give up your tenacity. Don't give up your perseverance. Don't go back to the elements of the world to get your comfort. I hear people tell me, I got to do that. I say, why? Why you got to do that? I had someone ask me the other day, do you believe that someone could be a social alcoholic? I said, what? A social alcoholic? I mean, just your question is goofy. Just by your question, you're telling me you need help. And then when you say to people, you haven't had a drink in almost 40 years, they say, what? Not one? Not one beer? No. Not one gin and tonic? No. Not one rum and coke? No. Not one scotch? No. They look at you. I say I had a great experience with God, man. Don't need that. Don't need that. And I'm not saying that I'm more holy than you because I don't drink. I'm just saying, listen, it's not a crutch that I need. It's not something I need to run to to get comfort. I have to go to the Lord. I have to find my fair haven. And that's Christ. That's the secret place of the Most High God. Hmm. Paul said, take courage. Now let me read something to you as I go into the book of Acts chapter 28. Stay with me for a few more minutes. This is an important part. When you get down to verse 11, the shipwreck took place. No loss of life. Paul was sent to the island of Melita. Now, mind you, he's supposed to be going to Rome. These are detours, he thinks, or we think are detours. But it's God's way of getting us to where he wants us to go. Even when we mess up, even when we get off the beaten path, he's so wonderful. Even when we have a shipwreck, And it's partly our fault. God has a way of bringing us back and putting us on the railroad track. Listen to these words. This is after the shipwreck. Paul does arrive at Rome. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island. An Alexandrian ship with the twin gods as its figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days. From there, we sailed across to Rigium. A day later, a south wind began blowing, so the following day we sailed up to the coast of Petuliae. There we found some believers who invited us to stay with them seven days, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Apian Way. Others joined us at the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now let me explain these verses to you because 
this has so much meaning. First of all, the Bible says we landed at Syracuse. Now, most people would just go over that word and say, oh, that's nice. Yeah, we have Syracuse City near us. Yeah, the Orange play there, the basketball team. Yeah, we got some good basketball. Some good football last two years. <laughs> yeah. But what does the word Syracuse mean? You see, you have to understand this whole sermon. God trying to get a man of God to Rome on a journey. And all these obstacles, including a shipwreck. Fair havens in between, a little breather from the trial on the back porch, you know, with iced tea, a barbecue, you know, I get my thoughts together, agreeing with God's word, having fellowship with a few Christians, getting some encouragement. But now we're back on the road. We're in the sea. We're fighting the enemy again. The headwind is coming against us, pushing against us. And finally, the shipwreck takes place, and now we're in Rome. We're, we're, we're arriving. And we come to this place called Syracuse. Listen to this. You know what the word Syracuse means? It means this, dragging unwillingly. Now stop right there. <laughs> That's what it means in the Greek. Dragging unwillingly. That's us. Come on. Come on. We can do this. You don't have to have a whole lot of questions right now. And you know what God has to do? He's got to drag us to the next port. He's got to drag us to see. He's got to drag us. Because we lose momentum. We lose focus. We lose direction. We give up. Oh, this is not working. This is not going to work. I might as well give up. Why come to church? God is so merciful, he drags us. Because he knows what the next port is going to bring. He knows what's down the road. Listen to what I'm saying to you. The next place that they came, because they stayed in Syracuse for three days, God had to drag them there. Not Paul, but all these people on the boat. And they came to this place called Regium. And this means forcing the way through. It's an intensification of Syracuse, dragging unwillingly. It means God has to really force his way through. What God is saying is, come on, I'm going to drag you through the trial. I don't want you to give up. I'm going to increase the intensity of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you where I want you to go, and I'm going to get you to become what I want you to be. That's what it means. And then God, being a merciful God, he says, he brought them to this place called Petuliae, which means little wells, warm baths, mineral, mineral, mineral springs, or refreshing. So look at the scenario that we have here. This is after the shipwreck. And you know when your ship wrecks, you know when your marriage is shot, when your kids disobey, when you financially go under. Listen, when life just seems like it's just not good anymore, God's got to drag you along a little bit because he doesn't want you to give up. And God brings you to the place and he intensifies his force in your life. He intensifies his spirit in your life. Because the word regium means this. It not only means 
to intensify God's efforts in your behalf to get you where he wants you to go. It means a break, an opening, a crack, a fissure, a gap. It means separation from where you've been. God, in his infinite mercy, is saying, I'm trying to separate you from the trial. Trust me. Believe in me. I'm helping you to grow. Keep coming. It's like a little child learning how to walk. Come on. Come on. You could do it. You could do it. And the kid's taking a, a few steps. You could do it. Come on. Come on. Come on. And that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to make that break in your life so the trial can end. So you can see daylight. So you can come to this place of little wells. So you can come and get a warm bath. So you can come to mineral springs. What does that mean? It means refreshing. It means healing. It means restoration. It means renewal. People don't see this. All they see is the horror of their trial. All they see is their unhappiness. All they see is themselves as stuck. What happened in this journey? Look at verse 14. There we found some believers who invited us to stay with them seven days, and so we came to Rome. They found who? Believers. Fellowship. Input. Love. Compassion. Concern. Unity, acceptance, receiving and giving to each other, ministering to each other through the Spirit. We're so stuck. We're so stuck. We're so fixed on our trial, we have nothing to give other human beings. We have no bread to give. We have no drink. Because all we're mindful of is our state of life and where we are. You know, really, we're selfish people. I say that for myself. We're selfish people. We think about ourselves so much. And we don't even see the needs of other people. We don't talk. We don't communicate. We don't fellowship. We don't talk spiritual. What do we talk about? What do we really talk about? We talk about our cars, our boats, our hunting, our fishing. What do we really talk about? We don't talk about our trials because for most people, they've just given up on life and they're just trying to get by. If I can just get by this day, we wait for the clock to hit the certain hour when we quit our jobs. We look at the clock and we say, I have a few more hours and I'm off. To do what? To still be miserable whether you're at work or you're at home. But it's just a little more less miserable at home than it is at work for you. But I tell people, when you're waiting for the clock to hit four, those are less hours that you have to live upon the earth. So you're really working toward your death instead of toward life. You can't wait for this day to be over. You can't wait for this week to be over. And what we're really saying is, We can't wait for this life to be over. And we're not really living, and we're not really enjoying. We're enduring. We're trying to fight it out in our own strength. And we've really 
for many people, lost our joy. We're going through the motions. I see that in the workforce. People don't care. They're just going through the motions, wasting time. And I look at Christianity, and I look at relationships, and I say, we're just going through the motions. Who are we fooling? We have to come to a place of reality. Small talk, surface talk. How are you doing? Good. You're not doing good. You're doing lousy. And we don't even admit it because we don't want to ask for help. We don't want to ask for fellowship. We don't want to ask other people that may have a solution to your problem or to your dilemma. Let me talk to you for a little bit more. Do you mind? In Acts 28 and 15, the brothers and sisters in Rome heard we were coming. These are more people. And they came to meet us at the forum on the Apian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. And that does not mean the beer joint. Praise the Lord. You can laugh. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. What was Paul saying? I'm happy to see my brothers and sisters. Man, I've just been through a shipwreck. Man, our ship just went down, man. It was scary. We could have drowned. We could have died. You know what we do as Christians? We can't wait for church to get over so we can get away from each other and go home. Yeah, it's true. We run out the door. Where's so-and-so? I don't know. They left. We come back next week and we do the same thing. Where's so-and-so? Gone. I don't know. Like osmosis, like a gas. Disappeared. We don't greet one another. We don't praise the Lord. How you doing? Good to see you. Because I may not get the opportunity tomorrow. I, I know some people think I live a morbid life. But I really don't. I try to enjoy every day. I look into the face of other people and, and say, 